Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, The New Money Podcast, episode 47. How y'all doing, man? Hope you guys are enjoying your week. We're back at you with another interview. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate if you left a review. It could be five stars. It could be one star. I don't really care at all. I just want to hear back from you guys. So today what we've got going on is Jeremy Schneider of Personal Finance Club. If you recognize the name, it's because he's the first guy to come back on the show. Uh, We did an episode with him about a month ago, and that was more on his story, and we kind of just dug into that. But today, we kind of just have a freewheeling conversation on all kinds of topics, investing, politics, um, you know, dealing with hate on social media, all kinds of stuff. And I think it's just a really enjoyable conversation to listen to. So buckle up. It's a great interview. Here is Jeremy Schneider of Personal Finance Club. Jeremy, what's going on, brother? Hey, thanks for having me back, Nathan. Your episode actually is the best episode in like my podcast history. So, in terms uh, people, of the performance, yeah, performance wise, like everything, okay. it's just, it just people. I still get like buddies texting me, like, who is that Jeremy guy that you had on the show? I was like, oh, really? Yeah, you know, check out his Instagram, you know, but <laughs> nice. That's good to know. Yeah, no, it's it, it was good, man. It was good. Uh, how, how you been keeping up? What's uh, what's new? <laughs> what was it like a month ago when we talked yeah, nothing's new man it's coronavirus you, you uh, launched your you launched your new uh course right oh that's true that's new that's that's um, you know so how's that been going great yeah um the uh my whole personal finance club has been a year and a half or almost two years now of just doing what doing what i love and like posting free content and like keeping up with the instagram and making the website but i had never had like a dollar of revenue. I just, and I basically was like losing money on mm. hosting and, and conferences. And I, you know, lost, not lost, but I spent a few thousand bucks on it. Um, and then, but like every day to this day, I get people saying, it's like, Hey, like, how do I invest? And I was like, that's yeah. literally what I post every single day, but I get yeah. it because like an Instagram feed is overwhelming and confusing. So I created this course to basically like, just be this brain dump from A through Z. Like, you know, this is like, this is the math. This is the types of accounts. This is the taxes. This is the, you know, the reasoning, like all this stuff. Cause like, I feel like a lot of people ask these little questions and I picture it like a, a puzzle. Mm-hmm. They're like, what, they're like, what piece goes right here? And I was like, I could answer that question, but like without the context of like the rest of the picture, it's not going to make, it's not going to help you. I don't think, or at least it's going to like be of minimal help. And so this course is like painting the picture. And then yeah, I did a five day launch. Basically I read this marketing book that, that, suggested you need to kind of put time boxes on things so that people feel like it's a, it's an event and there's like a, an incentive to act or whatever. Um, yeah. And then in the first five days I sold $108,000 worth of the course for at 49 bucks a pop. So it's not like I was selling it for like $2,000 or something. Um, so like, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And so now in like in this, in the span of five days, I, uh, you know, made like a pretty healthy salary for, you know, a year or two. Um, And my first business I started, it took me over three years to cumulatively make $100,000. And so for this, like what I still consider to be like a side hustle, passion project kind of situation to do that in five days is crazy. But it's, uh, and people like the response has been insanely good. Like just, I got one three-star review, which obviously bugged me, but I got like 75 star reviews and no, nothing other than five-star reviews and people are just like gushing over it. And it's just like, people are just thirsting for this, this information, you know, which is, yeah. it's awesome to give it to them. 
Yeah. Okay. I have like probably 70 million questions. Probably won't even get to all of them right now. Um, <laughs> Great. So firstly, the first thing that kind of popped in my head was with, with this show and like with everything that I'm trying to do and all that, I have this sort of thing where I'm like, don't tap into it yet. Don't tap into it yet. Don't tap into it yet. And I feel like that's exactly kind of what you did. And tap into what? Tap into revenue? Yeah. Like, or monetization or anything like uh -huh. that. And I know obviously you're not out here to just make a ton of money. Like you've made that very clear. And, but one, one, one thing that I really have been thinking about it just in terms of the show and growing and things like that, it's like, I don't want to monetize yet. I just want to focus on the content, getting the content right, getting it good. So when, with this course, I know it was more so to make it more legit. That's more so why you put the price tag on it. But was that a consideration for you? Was it kind of like, I don't want to monetize until I'm at a sizable sort of like level? Yeah, that's a good question. And there's like a lot of, you know, like information that goes into that, a lot of factors that go into that. Like one, one big factor of which is that like, I don't really need the money to live right now mm -hmm. and maybe never again. And so, um, that gives me the very advantageous position of like not having to chase the dollars. Right. You know, like if I needed 3000 bucks a month just to live, I would probably be doing like coaching when I'm coaching or like consulting or you know, anything I could do to like just to make that money because I need to do it for next month. But the problem with that is like, I don't do any one-on-one -on -one coaching because if I'm helping just one person, then I'm not focusing my time and energy and attention on like growing the, the broader business, which is what I want to be spending my time on. And so, yeah, so I, it was, you know, a year and a half or two years in when I decide to charge for something and on that day, like I said, and I still maintain, like if, if PFC ended and like, you know, I never did again and Instagram deleted my account or whatever, I deleted my website. Like I still, I still called it a success. I feel like it made, it made an impact. I feel like a lot of people learned a lot. I feel like it was like a good thing for the world. Um, and in even making no money, like I'm happy with that. Um, but so then I launched the course and yeah, I basically decided to charge for like a few reasons. One, I think people equate price with value. I literally think if I did the exact same thing I did and then just made it free instead of charged, I think fewer people would have taken the course. Like it's, it's crazy, but I think because people have seen what I've been doing for free and they just hear that I'm charging for something. So they just think, and like, I've been, I'm being now, and I've always been like painfully transparent, which is like, there's no secrets in the course. Like I haven't been like waiting to charge you for the really good stuff. You know, I'm like, it's the exact same thing. If there's any benefit to the course, it's just like more organized and laid out or whatever than an Instagram feed. Um, but you know, and some people have said, why would you pay for this? It's just, it's just uh, like teaching someone how to do index funds. I was like, I was like, yeah, I agree. Like, and if you, and if you know that, then don't pay for it, you know? And you know, people who are in debt, I'm like, do not pay for this. It's not, it's not appropriate for you to pay for this yet. Um, but so yeah, they equate price with value. I, you know, I am like spending money. So it would be nice to like, basically it'd be at least break even. Um, I had like a whole bunch of reasons. Oh, I'm like, I'm donating 20% of the revenue to charity. So not even the profits, but the actual sales. And so actually I'm doing it monthly and come November 1st, which is in like a week or something, I'm going to be writing a check for like $22,000, um, whatever it is, 10 or 20% to charity, which is cool. Um, there's a few other reasons I forgot, but basically I was like, I think that Oh, and, and to fund the free content, right? Because now I, I literally have like composed a, um, a job posting to hire someone to help me 
build this thing, you know, um, wow. and put out even more free content. And so like right now, like in the big world, I'm like nothing, like I'm like a drop in the ocean, if that, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you, that's how you start. Right. And so if, and you only grow further by trying to take bigger steps. So if I just sit here and basically, you know, don't try to grow or I'm just doing hourly consulting or just like keep trying to cash in as much as possible. I'm basically going to stare at here and that might be fine. You know, I think I could probably make a living at this point. Um, but if I want to have like, you know, millions and millions of followers and have a huge massive impact and like change the landscape on financial literacy, then you got to start like, you know, taking steps that are like a little bit ahead of where you are, you know? Absolutely. So when you, when you hear, and you hear it a lot in, in, in books and, and, you know, podcasts and things like that, it's the people that are most successful are, are mission driven. They're not worried about the money and the money just finds its way to them. It, it just attracts to them uh, to help them fund that sort of mission. So, um, could you see yourself creating like a, like a, like a, startup like a legitimate business where you you know you actually expand to like a a a large mission-based company or do you think that you would it would sort of dilute your message and your mission you kind of always want it to be funneled through you and and keep the team smaller i guess kind of i'm just curious what your aspirations like within the next decade are just in terms of your mission and where you're trying to go with everything yeah i want it to be huge i want it to be millions of people i don't want it i don't want like i like being I never, you know, before last January, I have never been any sort of like public persona, you know, like I was just a guy writing software behind closed doors, you know, even like if you went to my website and clicked about us, like maybe it said my name or whatever, but that was like the extent of my like public persona. So like, um, but I, I like it, you know, I've chosen this path to like put my face in in front of the brand or whatever. Um, but you know, it doesn't need to be that way. And, and frankly, I think that's like, you know, there are huge public personas, obviously, that are huge multi-million dollar brands and everything. But I, you know, I don't think that I need to tie myself to it, even though I, I can partially do it. So yeah, yeah, 10 years down the road, I want to be huge on it, be doing like a million dollars a month in revenue or more. I want to be, um, you know, helping many millions of people. Um, and, you know, and you said, like, am I going to convert this to the business? I basically already broke the seal on that. You know, I, I formed an LLC, I've got an operating agreement, I've filed all my paperwork with the state. I've got a bank account. I've, um, you know, I'm doing all the things that a business does and, you know, I've got six figures in revenue now, so I I have to, and I'm probably going to hire soon. Um, and you know, and I think the question is like, I don't really know what exactly it's going to become yet. You know, the, the Instagram thing is just like marketing for the sake of marketing, at least from a business perspective, like, you know, from a mission perspective, it's just helping people, which is what I like doing. But, um, you know, I, for, you know, almost two years, I was marketing without a product because I just was like, liking helping people. And then what the, what's the product going to be? Like, it could just be a series of courses or something, but I think that's like a little bit, it's just like a way to monetize. It's not like a product. And so I've got some ideas of products and I basically, you know, with maybe the help of my first employee, will um, test those in the market and see if there's, if they're viable, if people would want to pay for them, if, um, if I think it could grow and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope in 10 years that, and it might not even always be called personal finance club. It's like a very long name and it might not mean whatever. I think for like a fun little Instagram thing, it makes perfect sense, but, um, but maybe it's not the right name for a, a product, but um, that's TBD, I guess. Right. So 
with, with financial literacy, I, I feel like obviously with, with social media, it's getting um, talked about more than it used to, for sure. Um, obviously still not talked about enough. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of just in this macro level questioning now. So, I mean, what, what, what's your ideal, what's your ideal America? I mean, what, what's the ideal impact that you'd like to see, um, within the next generation, um, or, you know, adults, our, our age groups, whatever, um, what does that look like to you? What's an ideal version of that? That's a good question. And obviously a big question and one that like, I, you know, feel a little bit like, I don't know, an imposter to even claim that I can be able to answer, but I'll try anyway. Um, so basically like, I think that, you know, wealth inequality is a big problem. I think that, um, poverty is a big problem. I think that, you know, the, you know, difference between like what, it, you know, what it takes just to make it working a job and like being the CEO is just like getting so far apart. And like, historically it hasn't always been this way. I think if you look back and like the 60s, 70s, whatever, like a CEO would make like 20 times more than their average worker, which is like, you know, a lot. So if you're making $50,000 a year as a worker, you're making $2 million a year as a CEO. That's 20 times more, right? That's a big difference. Um, but now the number isn't 20 times more. It's like 500 times more. It's like, you know, if you're making $50,000 a year as a worker, it's like, I don't know what that math is, two. 250 million or something as a CEO. Like it's, it's just, it's just the numbers are just mind boggling. I might've, I might've added or removed a zero or something. I don't know, but basically like, it's, it's like way too, it's, it's, you know, it's so much. It's like, and, and these numbers are very abstract to us because it's like 2 million, 200 million, 2 billion. It's just like, it all rhymes with Illion and we don't have that much money. So like, it's all like, it's like normal amount of money, lots of money, and it's all grouped together, but like, it's way different. Like, you know, they say, if you want to know the difference between a million and a billion, it's about a billion. And, um, actually I saw this website. Uh, yeah, I guess it's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a million, a million, it's literally, a, it's nine, nine, nine. You know? I've never heard of that. That's hilarious, but that's so true. It, that's so right. True. A million is rounding error to a billion. And yeah. so when you hear someone's got, Oh, they're a billionaire. It's like, Oh, billionaire, millionaire. It, it, it all rhymes. Like it all rhymes. Right. But like, it's very different. And, and, you know, I think to the, and not that like, you know, I think there are some, like some people who are like, so pro capitalism, like it's anti-American to suggest anyone should have less money. And, you know, like, I don't, you know, wish them to have less money necessarily, but like, if it's at the cost of this like super top heavy system, that's like, you know, wiping out the middle class, then like, we need to readjust our, um, our, uh, what's it called? Like our priorities. And so like, what am I going to do about it? I'm like, well, I think it's a, you know, multi-tiered, very complicated problem that's like above my pay grade. But for sure, the part that I feel confident about is like one big problem is that all like this, you know, 99% of people who are just like the normal people working normal jobs without Illion after their name, like most of them don't know how money works. And um, it's not their fault necessarily. And it's not the only thing, you know, it's not like if you, if you're a single mom working a minimum wage with three kids, and then you suddenly learn about index funds that then you're like, you know, your financial woes are solved. Like that's not obviously the case, but I think it's like one of these many tier, like one of these many prongs to this, the eventual solution, because there are some people, many people who do make, you know, 50 K or hundred K or 150 K a year and are still broke because they're just like setting all their money to like, 
banks and corporations and everything because they don't know how to manage their money and don't know how to grow their own wealth. And so, you know, I think one of the tier like prongs, the solution is financial literacy. And the way that I see that coming about is I would love to get it into schools. In fact, like I just had, a, like I taught a couple of high school classes last week and then I had a, had a meeting with a, uh, figure out the cr a curriculum guy at one of the local San Diego school districts. And he basically is bringing personal finance into his school district. <clears throat> and he has like a tough job because it's not a required course. So like the state, and I think this is basically a state by state thing, but in California, the state basically dictates, you have to take math from one of these curriculums, you have to take science from one of these curriculums, but they don't dictate that you have to take personal finance. And so you can graduate, you know, you can learn everything you need to learn to like make a career in this world and graduate from high school in California and like never learn about money. And so he, you know, he and his superintendent like recognize that's a good thing to know. And so they're working on it, but it's kind of like this uphill battle because since it's not required by the state and other things are, they're basically kind of like having to force on people. So anyway, what, how do I see this fitting in the world? I would love to continue to help to like bring personal finance into the schools, into like young people, financial literacy, and that in maybe combination with like some bigger scale political things, we can help, you know, make sure that, that people can work and be happy and make a living and be, you know, fortunate and all that stuff. Yeah, and I definitely think from an institutional perspective, um, that's that's really where the biggest change can come uh, is is in the early education. Now, this question kind of popped in my head. What are your opinions on like self regulation, self managing your finances versus you know financial advisors, even money coaches, things like that? Um, do you think it depends on the person? For example, like they can be successful in either or like it comes down to their temperament. Are they able to just kind of manage their own stuff or not? Or do you think that most people, if not all people are more than capable of, of handling their own, their own money? So whenever I get a question like this, I always want to bring it back to the roots and say, the thing that's most important is spending less than you make yeah. and investing okay. early and often. Yeah. It's the two rules, right? And so you know, all the other stuff is like more academic fine tuning stuff. And so, you know, you can for sure be a very successful financial person either way. If you spend less than you make and you invest the difference, if you, if you, you know, spend half what you make and you take the other half to like a really mediocre financial advisor and just say, do your worst, like you're going to be in great shape, right? Because you're, you're investing a massive amount of money. Um, that said, I'm obviously more on the do it yourself kind of spectrum. I think, you know, the wealthy people and the really successful people I know generally don't have a financial advisor, um, but they generally do have a CPA. So I'm not against professional help. It's just that it just so happens that the the world of investing turns out to be confusing sounding, but once you figure it out, it's pretty simple. And paying someone to do that for you is like kind of hurts your growth trajectory. So I and a lot of people who I think you are on the kind of the same wavelength as me, you know, do their own financial or do their own investing, but, but then have someone help with taxes because taxes are something that aren't super simple and take an hour to learn or whatever. Um, you know, that said, like if you're 25 and you've had terrible financial role models your whole life and um, you don't understand debt or don't understand money and you think that a personal finance coach is going to be beneficial to you, then it probably would be. And if you spend, you know, 
hundred bucks or whatever, a couple hundred bucks on a financial coach. And then it changes the tra trajectory for the rest of your life. And that would probably be good. You know, there's also some people who are just like, you know what, whatever, I have a million bucks in the bank. I just don't want to even click the buttons on a website to invest, or I don't trust my own temperament or something. I'm going to turn it over to a financial advisor. I think that's fine too. Um, so not, not how I do things, but I think that you can definitely still win that way. Right. And I think well, the one thing I always hear, I guess, like the sort of like, uh, I guess, sophisticated answer is, well, when you make enough money, then, you know, they can help with estate planning and um, tax strategies and they can work with your, I don't know, your CPA. And there's all this kind of high level stuff. Um, and I've never really partaken in any of those conversations, but I mean, like, you know, high, high net worth people. And this does, I mean, this doesn't, n nobody really listening to this podcast is making a hundred million a year, <laughs> but like, just out of curiosity, Probably maybe, not. I mean, it, that'd be great. If you are, you'd message me because we should talk, but, <laughs> uh, you know, like, what do you think of that? Like, like things like family offices, things like that. I'm just, I'm just curious what you, your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some truth to that. Um, you know, I, I feel like if you have $20,000 to your name and you walk into a financial advisor, there's like two types of financial advisors. There's like the altruistic kind who will say, I cannot make you more money than I would have to charge you. You're better just turning around and walking out this door. Then there's the not so altruistic kind who's just going to be like, come on in, like sit down. Let me, you know, let me tell you about insurance or whatever, you know? Um, and so, but you know, but that kind of doesn't become true. Like if you have millions of dollars. And so one interesting like stat that I think a lot of people don't know is that people are like, really, you mentioned estate planning and people are really concerned about like the gift tax and estate tax. And if they like pass their money to their kids, like as of today, like the, the limit on how much money you can give to your kids, hundred percent tax free is over $11 million. So you can literally, you can literally give your kids $11 million, hundred percent tax free before the estate tax even taxes you the first penny. And, um, you know, so basically, and you know, me today, rich Jeremy, my net worth is about 3.6 million. And so like on one, you know, I basically, you know, you need to be very wealthy <laughs> to like yeah. be worrying about that stuff. But yeah, if you have a hundred million dollars and there are people who are experts in like, you know, like offshore tax accounts or, or, you know, estate planning or, you know, all that stuff like wills and trusts and, and LLCs. And, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's like games to be played to like, to work the U S tax code, but like, even me, like, what if I did that? And like, I improved my, you know, net worth by 10% or whatever, like, then I'd have like 3.9 million instead of 3.6 million or something like, you know, probably worth it, you know, the bigger the number is like, you know, worth it in that, like, I'd have more money, but like, does it change my life? You know, does it make the world a better place? I don't know. So basically I just don't give a shit about that stuff. Like yeah. I just, like yeah. someone who has a hundred million dollars and making them $110 million. That is not an interesting problem to me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, literally couldn't agree more. Um, and you know what, and another quite, I didn't, I didn't ask it just circling back. Um, when we talked about, when we talked about the wealth and quality stuff, um, I, I seen a lot of your posts, especially that tax one. You did a, you did a, you did a post where you said, I didn't get taxed enough. Like I got taxed this much. I didn't get taxed enough. That thing blew up. And one thing that I've been seeing a lot in these more vi viral posts, um, 
is this like onslaught of different people um, coming up with things that I've never even heard of. Like just, just and, like not even trolls, just like people that are just so angry, so, 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 so angry. And so my question to you is like, how do you deal with that? And like, just kind of take me through your experience with that. Because obviously like when you started out, I'm sure it was just, you know, m- most brands, they start out, it's just all support, just your friends and family, whatever. Then you start to grow your base and then people, you know, supportive, but you get to a certain size and then you're just naturally going to have hate come your way. So kind of just tell me how, how you deal with that. And, and specifically, like, why do you, why do you think like, there's such a fury with, with some of those topics? Yeah. I mean, so you're right. Like the bigger you get, you're going to get haters. Um, and I knew that and expected that I was overwhelming though. I'm surprised how nice almost everyone is, I guess, like my primary social media site of choice before I got into this was, was Reddit. And if you post to Reddit, like everyone's just so mean to you, like just you posting, they're like, you're like, Oh, that's stupid. Cause you're such a fucking idiot. Cause you're I'm yeah, like, I was yeah, like, Oh my yeah. God. Like, it's yeah. like you, you post that. It's like, you know, like this is, I drew this picture and it's, it's, I tried pretty good. They're like, like the, the eyes are in the right side for the head. You don't even know how eyes work. I was, I was like, well, like I didn't say it was perfect. I just thought, you know, it was a picture I drew and it was pretty good. Like people just tear you down no matter what, but on Instagram overwhelmingly people kind of like overlook that kind of stuff. And they're like generally pretty nice, but yeah, for sure. At least these days when you like just touch on something that people perceive as political, then they immediately, in my opinion, basically run it through a litmus test to say, is this guy on my team or not? And if not, it's just like attack mode. It's like the age of outrage. It's like, how dare you? And yeah, so, and of course, like, you know, I'm trying to grow a brand. And when you, you know, you grow things, you basically need to like, be a little bit spicy. Um, You know, if you just, if, if, if I just like put Webster definition of IRA on my account every day, it'd be boring. And so like that tax post you mentioned, I put like last year, I paid $150,000 in taxes and that wasn't enough. Um, and you know, the implication there is like, this guy wants to be taxed more. Like what a yeah, clown. Man, you got and, and, wrecked. Like I remember <laughs> right, just, like, there's, there's some support there, but I just remember reading and I was like, Oh man. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I feel like Instagram comments are also weird because yeah they, you know, Instagram has some algorithm to sort them. And so like, I probably got out of every hundred comments, probably 95 were positive, but then the five Mm -hmm. that were negative, I like responded. And my general response is to basically like be very factual and kill them with, kill them with kindness. And then Mm -hmm. my responses would get a huge number of likes. And so then when Instagram was deciding what comments to show they'd show this very angry comment and my very popular reply and then someone who just just was like starting from the top and reading down sees a bunch of angry comments and you know so i think that that was like not exactly the total tone of the of the comments um yeah but anyway it's like the age of outrage and so these people just see me as being on the other team even though like it really wasn't a political post i like went down and was like this is you know I was like, this can be a net neutral change to the tax code. Cause like, yeah, last year, my, my adjusted gross income was like over $750,000, but I paid less tax as a percent of my income than someone who made $72,000. And the primary reason because of that was that I did not work for my money. I just sold stuff for more than I bought it for. And the U S government taxes that at a much more advantageous rate. Plus that money is not taxed at all for social security or Medicare. Like our two biggest federal expenses, people whose money make money 
don't chip in for that at all. It's like kind of crazy. And, 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 you know, I think that if it was never that way, then people would be perfectly happy with the situation. You know, even like people who are, you know, people who are mad are basically Republicans because I was like even suggesting that taxes should be different or whatever. You know, even though I said this could be a net neutral change, right? Like we can lower tax on working people, raise taxes on money, making money to make it net neutral. They're like, how dare you? Lower taxes are better. I was like, well, I was like, okay, aren't fair taxes better? Like, you know, we could move the whole thing up or down. Yeah. So, you know, people got pissed off at that, um, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I definitely think you're right. Like I, I saw there was more positive than negative by far, but I just remember, like you said, like your sort of engagements um, with, with the, with the other ones. And there was this one post too. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to move off this because <laughs> it's not, you know, I've been talking about it a bit, but. No, hey, I like, I love the controversy. They say everything popular is controversial. Think of anything in the world popular, yeah. anything, the Pope, Ellen DeGeneres, yeah. uh, Oprah, I don't know, like everything popular is controversial. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I, it's coming for me. It, uh, so this, there's this one post I saw actually the other day and it was like this sweet girl and she was doing this little drawing. It's like, why do you need an emergency fund? And it was just like this simple explanation. Like this person has an emergency fund and this comes up and then they, you know, they're able to pay for it. This person doesn't, and they're not able to, and like just got obliterated. And like, I remember going through every comment and just being like, like, what is wrong? Like, why is everybody like just the nicest, most simple thing. And I just remember feeling so like I messaged her and I was like, well, what were they mad about? They said, well, you think we don't want an emergency fund? Like, of course we want an emergency fund. Like, we're broke. We're living paycheck to paycheck. Like, of course we want to have money. And, like, I don't mean to make fun of them, but I it was so bad that I literally messaged her. And I was like, hey, like, I loved your post. Like, it was really sweet and simple. Like, I'm sorry that all these people got mad at you. And she was like, yeah, like, I don't know what happened. Because she, she heard it just took, blew up. It took off. I think it had, like, it was a reel. It had, like, a million plays. And, like... I was just like, it's just, the internet's a scary thing, man. It's, it yeah. really. <laughs> there's a post like overwhelmingly, like the whole time it's been really positive for me, but there was a, there was a day where, um, you know, the, the, like the riding was at its worst and, and, you know, the black lives matter movement was going really strong and defund police. And like this, it was like a really tumultuous time. I think feel like everyone in the country was just like, you know, on edge and like didn't feel great about it and like you know whatever and and i had had to that point a very apolitical um like account and like dms started coming in basically accusing me of complacency being like how come you, you don't use your platform to speak up and um and you know i think that's fair like i think that you know it's weird because like i just started this account a year ago and i have some obligation to like to speak out for social justice or whatever. Um, but you know, I, I think that's like a fair critique. And so I was like, yeah, I, I guess I should say something. And then I like posted something that, you know, I was thinking about, which was basically like a, me a like a message of togetherness. And I, you know, was like, think I was thanking people for like, you know, doing such like hard things. Like I was thanking the protesters because they're working hard to like, you know, fight for, justice for you know um i was thinking like the police who did not do police brutality because they're getting a lot of shit right now and um and for like 30 minutes the comments were really good and then like someone basically posted something mean and then like it literally like like just turned and then everyone was posting something mean and i feel like because that message was not like 
like on the marching orders of one or the other side people like mm. were like you know at first like oh yeah i think this guy's like a nice guy and i still think i'm a nice guy but then someone's like no wait this is all lives matter he's a bad guy and i was like i was like no i didn't say all lives matter like, you know i was like i was trying to like you know say hey maybe we can go further together than if we hate each other or whatever um so i don't know i mean maybe that was the wrong message but like you know but then i looked at like to make myself feel better, I looked at Dave Ramsey's post and cool. he posted, he posted, he posted the black square, which I didn't post the black square. Cause I was like, God, that's so like, it's such yeah. like a lazy armchair, social media activism. I'm like, I was yeah. like, what's that going to do? It's just like, you know, everyone posted the black square one day and then no one thought about it ever again. Um, I would, and Dave Ramsey posted the black square and his comments were like tearing him apart. I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So like, it's not just me. Um, and you know, I like, whatever, I think my message the first day while I think my heart was in the right place, the messaging didn't land. And I like, I think I corrected that with further posts or whatever, but, um, still was like a window into like this age of outrage war and where if just like people and, you know, I'm hoping, you know, we're all kind of like bracing for this election that happens in what, what is it? God, it's a week from tomorrow. Man, I'm so excited is for it? us to be over. Yeah, eight days from now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feels like we didn't. You know what? I, 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 <laughs> I listened to, uh, I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan podcast. He had uh, he, he had Kanye West on most recently, and uh, Kanye's actually like running for 2020. And, He's on uh, my ballot. <laughs> not going to get my vote though. <laughs> yeah, and and I uh, and I just remember thinking like, okay, you've got those, and I mean, you know, I don't know much at all about American politics. Um, I just know the superficial sort of stuff. I'm sure that some Americans are kind of like. I'll just vote Kanye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was more true four years ago where Donald Trump against all odds against a, like a cohort of Republican candidates who are like serious candidates won the nomination. And, you know, people can, people can call me like a, a political hacker or whatever, but like the Republicans hated his guts up until the moment he was the nom the nominee, right? Like all of them, like you can look back at like, him, yeah. yeah, any sort of, you can look at Fox news, hated his guts. Like Lindsey Graham hated his guts. Mitch McConnell hated his guts. They all hated his guts until like they had to like line up behind him or whatever. Um, and then they basically very effectively like, you know, ruined Hillary's reputation or whatever. And so people were just like, like, oh, they both suck. I don't want to put my name on the record as voting for one of these two. So I feel like there's a lot of like, might as well vote for no one or vote for Kanye type of type of situation. But mm -hmm. I feel like now, four years later, we're like, wow, like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe leadership does matter. Maybe like okay, who yeah. sits in the White House makes a difference. I Like my impression is that there's not going to be that apathy. You know, the Kanye thing really bugs me because it's just like, I don't know what he's doing. If he's crazy, if he's trying to like, draw votes from one side or something um you know it's so it's so like disrespectful and like whatever but yeah. i hope no one votes for him and people who take it seriously this year we'll see we got we'll find out in eight days yeah it, it'll be it'll be something else um mathematically i'm pretty sure he can't win so like that's like it's not it's just kind of like one of those things where he can influence the election one way or the other, which is right. he's definitely not going to win. But like, let's say it's like, it was going to be 49, 48, uh, you know, assuming there's a popular vote, which was not like, let's say it would have been 49, 48 in some swing state, like in Ohio, like if Ohio changes the election and then 2% of 
would be Biden voters voted for Kanye instead, and it became 48, 47 Trump or something like, you know, of course, Biden's not, or of course, Kanye's not going to win, but like it could influence the election on who wins, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time. Um, but yeah, like, let me just, I don't really have a, a great segue. We're going to jump back into personal finance. Um, great. You know, with, you know, I, I was looking at, um, I was just kind of tweaking with some numbers, looking at a few different projections. I don't know. I just do this for fun sometimes. And, you know, I actually wanted to get your thoughts on this. So I asked a guest a few episodes ago, and do you know who Burton Mackiel is? Yeah, he's the author of a Random Walk Down Wall Street. So he was on a podcast called Animal Spirits, and he was talking about bonds and how, you know, it's they're not really what they used to be and things like that. And he was suggesting that um, the new age hedge for a portfolio could be dividend paying stocks, like blue chip dividend paying stocks with like index funds as like 80 or 90% or something like that, or 70 or whatever. Right. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on hedges um, moving forward? Because I feel like the 50, 50 portfolio, are we, do you think we're moving away from that? Do you think it's just kind of a lull in time? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm better at telling you what happened in the past than what's going to happen in the future because I don't know. Um, but yeah, like shit's weird right now. Uh, you know, in 1981, I think the average mortgage rate was over 16% or something like that. So if you want to, to borrow money for a house, you have to pay 16% of the value borrowed every year. Like so high, crazy. as like loan shark, um, you know, but at the time, that's how people bought houses. It was crazy. Now, today, it's like under 3%. It's like 2.5% or something. And, you know, in, and literally you, in like the early 80s, you could go to a, a, um, a bank and, and put money in a six-month or a year CD, and they would pay you 18% interest. Like, they, you know, like, we, like we dream of this like 10% potential number that the market can return with all this volatility. A bank would guarantee you 18% interest if over like a six or 12 month CD. I mean, I wish you could have done like a 40 year CD or something with like that, but I don't think they were offering for that long. Um, whereas today, CDs, like, I, I mean, it's, it's so close to zero. It's not even worth quoting the price like 0.1 or 0.01 or who knows what it is. Like, like you know, banks pay nothing. Um, and so, you know, times have changed and, um, and bonds are, you know, paying lower because rates are super low. And so I definitely see a lot of people who think like, why bother with bonds? Why not do hundred percent equities? Um, and you know, I guess my general belief is that things are probably going to change again. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like uh, disagree with Burton who probably knows a lot more than I do, but like, um, you know, like I have a mom who's some number of years older than me and like I helped her with her portfolio and I kind of did something similar to that where I did put her in a lot of like dividend paying stocks because she was like risk averse and didn't want her money and like bonds are paying very little. So I was like, yeah, I guess that's an okay place to go. But in general, I, I, I guess I tend on the don't, don't tinker too much, right? Like if, if you're like doing an 80, 20 portfolio stocks and bonds, you know, these few years, which are weird, you know, changing your whole strategy. And then when things go back to normal, then like being reactive and changing it back, you, you're probably gonna end up worse than you would have if you would have just stayed the course the whole time. So, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I'm, I guess I'm, I, I am pretty still bullish about the stock market in general over the next 40 years. And so I think that like very heavy stock allocations is good, but I don't chase dividends. I wouldn't put money into dividend stocks over um, just index funds. And I probably wouldn't dramatically change my bond allocation based on what I think the bond market's going to be like over the next 40 years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so do you invest in index funds or exchange traded funds? Do you- so when I learned about uh, personal finance and investing, I, or like, well, I basically had my windfall when I sold my company five years ago and then I started reading every book and then the books I was reading were basically recommending ETFs. And so I, at this time, most of my portfolio is in like a small handful of ETFs. But if I could do it over again, I would probably put it all in the mutual fund version of index funds because um, I don't like dealing with shares. I think that you know having to calculate how many shares you need to buy is annoying. I think I think the day trading aspect of ETFs is more likely to hurt you than help you. It doesn't like get you out of that buy and hold mentality. I just love the like the cleanness of index funds. Where you're just like you put your money in and leave it. And then it's like kind of optimally going forward with like, e- like ETFs kind of like, oh, this number of shares, this number of shares. Um, and so, you know, I think I'd probably be more rich today if I had taken all my money and just put it into a single target date index fund, you know, 90% stock allocation, you know, coherent international allocation, just let, let it go. And so actually when I'm investing new money, I actually do put it into a target date index fund. Right, right. So do, do you look at any other sort of ETFs? Like, like, do you have or considered more specialized one, like tech ones, healthcare ones, anything like that? Or do, are they more broad-based? I've considered them all and I hate them all. I only, I like the broadest <laughs> low fee index one possible because I basically, you know, I get questions all the time about what about this ETF? What about this one? And every single time it's just chasing past performance. It's just someone who's like, Hey, I just looked up you know, trailing performance. And it turns out that Zimbabwe, uh, you know, marijuana stocks over the last 12 months have, have provided the 33% return. Should I invest in Zimbabwe marijuana stocks going forward? And the answer is like, what happened the last year or five years is not, is not what's going to happen the next year. And I feel like there's this phrase like past performance is not indicative of future performance or whatever, however it's said. And and I feel like a lot of people are like, they have to say that because it has to be a, um, like a disclaimer, but wink, wink, we all know that the good ones stay good, but no, it's not, it's literally not true. Like if you do a study and you like stop, you know, you go back in history and you stop at some point in time and you look at the, the things that have performed the best the last five years, and then look at the next five years, it's all different things. Right. And so when people are like, and right, and right now it's tech, right? Because like tech has had a like great five years, you know, Apple has gone massive. Amazon's gone massive. Like the, the, um, the pandemic has basically been good for tech and everything else or bad for everything else. Like Tesla is like just bananas in terms of its, uh, valuation. So everyone's like text the way, man, text the way. But like, you know, last time I, everyone was saying it in the same way it was in the year 2000. And the NASDAQ, if you invested like, you know, in the first months of 2000 on an inflation adjusted basis, you would have had to wait 18 years or 17 years until 2017 to break even because the NASDAQ dropped 
and then slowly, you know, dropped again to the financial crisis. And then after inflation, you were, you weren't even for 17 more years. And so when people say like, oh, tech's of the future, like we all know tech's the future, but the problem is it's been priced so high and bid up so high that if you buy now at this rate, you can't expect that like crazy growth to continue. Um, and the answer is not that it's not going to continue. The answer is I have no idea. And so when you just pick and choose sectors like that, you're just opening yourself up to underperformance instead of guaranteeing yourself the full future growth of the stock market by buying the broadest market low fee index fund possible. Right. And, you know, it's, that's something I, I consider. I, I hold a few different ones, um, but the majority of it is in um, EOO, which is a, which is a Vanguard uh, S&P fund there. And that's interesting because that's something that's annoyed me considerably because I buy American listed uh, ETFs. Obviously I'm in Canada. And so I have to, there's a way to get around the conversion fee, but it's annoying. And then I have to, I have to like write, they have to literally write over my shares and then they have to do all this stuff. Or I could just buy the American uh, Canadian version, but like there's it. And you know what? I literally would just love pull the money out of my account, just take it, put it in an S and P fund. And like, I, like just consistently do that. So that's something that I've, I'm honestly strongly considering because it, it is incredibly cumbersome, even though it's still a relatively simple strategy compared to yeah. everything else. Um, it's no, I agree. Like, yeah, I agree. What you're doing is simple, but like, even like, you know, just having it automated, having every dollar go in, like even making it that much more simple, I feel like it's going to make you or make a person much more wealthy. But why don't you buy the Canadian listed versions out of curiosity? There's like VUS and VUN. You know, I just, I guess I believed in USD as, as a currency. It's always performed um, very strongly against our currency. Um, again, you know, that could that trend continue in the future? Maybe, maybe not, but I I guess if I'm going to buy an American company, I, I just always thought, you know, I'd buy it in American. Um, and if I can, mm. if I'm not, um, if the currency's in my opinion, better, if it's the world currency right now, if it's better than our currency, which has been shit for the past few years, decades, I'd, I'd even say I was, that's what I was kind of thinking. But then I was thinking, ah, you know, the, the marginal, like the, the difference between Canadian and American isn't pronounced enough. For me to go through all of this just to convert it back to canadian is my sort of current thought process so i might just completely convert it to the canadian version honestly yeah i think there's two canadian versions i think one of them is like hedged based on the on the currency or something so i think you can even like get around what you're worried about but also like you know i i grew up in detroit and we you know my we were across the bridge from windsor and my grandpa was even in a Canadian hospital. And when I was in college, we would party in Canada. And so like, I've, I've been, uh, you know, familiar with Canada my whole life and my whole life, like the U S dollar has been like worth a little more than the Canadian dollar, but not always. Like, I think it was only about 10 years ago where the Canadian dollar was actually worth more. And so I guess, you know, just like, I don't speculate on, on individual stocks or sectors. I also wouldn't speculate on currency. And I think that you live in Canada. I think there's nothing wrong with investing in your home cu country currency and, you know, go, jumping those hoops to try to uh, like assume that like the U S currency is going to be better. I, I think is, you know, just flipping a coin, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's literally where I'm at right now. That I'm, I, I was kind of just like thinking like, cause this is what happened and this is the last thing. And I think we'll wrap it up after this, but I was, I was helping my girlfriend out with hers and 
Um, I was like, oh, well, here are the Canadian listed versions. Very simple. Da, da, da. And she said, well, do you um, buy the Canadian listed? I was like, well, no, I don't. And she's like, well, why? And I thought, I don't really know why. And so now I, I'm, I'm honestly probably just going to probably eat the one-time fee, sell it off, and, and just, again, make it more simple. And then maybe even look at the, the Canadian Vanguard um, index funds that I can just that could literally just um, withdraw from my account because with my employer, like they, they do that and it's super easy. It just comes off my paycheck and then whatever I get uh, post-tax, that's what I'll invest in. And so it's just, you know, it, you're right. Like it definitely could be much more simple. And I, I think I need to do that. I have a friend who is a smart person in technology, but just not very aware of finance. And she got a job at IBM actually years ago. And and I think that they had Vanguard funds and and she like signed up for her 401k and um, put put money, you know, chose the Vanguard target date fund, just like really, really, really basic, simple stuff. In my opinion, in retrospect, she like basically nailed it. She like perfectly chose the fund and she automatically invested, you know, like from her perspective, she was kind of like blindly following, like following orders, whatever. And in my opinion, she like stumbled upon what I think is like basically optimal investing. And she's, you know, late thirties, like I am. And we like, we like met a year or two ago and she's like, I have a million dollars. I was like, I was like, yeah, because you were like for 20 years, you were putting money into a, uh, um, maybe not even 20, maybe 15 years, whatever, we're putting money into a 401k that was like invested in Vanguard index funds and you're, you have a good paying job. It's like, um, and she just like, it just, she didn't even really notice. Right. Because it's just every month automatically, whereas like I could see her if she had like, done this alternate universe where she's like, okay, I'm going to like pick sectors and day trade and get into some Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. And she's gonna be like, oh, I have $150,000. Not bad. I was like, I was like, yeah, but you left a lot on the table through all your game playing. Right. Um, so it's like, I feel like people are so obsessed about like, you know, winning, they, they forget that all that messing around, adding that all that complexity they add is actually more likely to have them underperform the market than then somehow magically beat the market, which is basically impossible to do over time. Yeah. And I think, I think being in a sort of ever state of trying to simplify things is, is, is optimal. I find that whenever I get more simple, that's when it, like the wealth grows even faster. Like it's just, there's the, the human behavior gets minimized and the, the, the money can just do what it needs to do. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think there's like a real positive financial value to simplicity. I think people that keep things more simple will actually have more money um, because they kept it more simple. 100%. Well, Jeremy, that's all I got for you today, my friend. Thank you for coming on. I, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain, freewheel, just have a chat, nothing nothing crazy. So man, thank you for kind of coming on a ride uh, today. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Thanks for inviting me back. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I think I might even have a better microphone than I had last time. So maybe we're all uh, improving the system here as we as we learn together. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Jeremy. Thank you so much, man. All right, thanks, dude. Catch you later. So there you have it. Great interview as always. It's always really fun to talk to Jeremy. He's a fantastic guy with great insight and I, yeah, I mean, most of this interview was just me picking his brain on a bunch of different stuff. And so I, again, learned so much from it. I hope you guys took some stuff from it. That's it for me this week, my friends. Stay tuned for this week's episode where we talk about what one of the greatest things you can do with your money is. I'm not going to say what it is yet, uh, but tune in on Sunday to find out what that is. 
For now, I am out this mother. Peace.